If the heart is cleansed from all sin, specifically inbred sin or the corruption of our motives, when we're baptized with the Holy Ghost and sanctified holy, then is there no longer room for spiritual growth? Have we reached the mountaintop of Christian experience? This seems to contradict the teaching of the scriptures. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We're local, we're in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area, and we are looking to start small groups. We want to talk about spiritual matters and look at the Bible together. We're trying to be disciples and make disciples. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance, that is G-O-D-S, R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, teaching, and preaching. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. Please also look for God's Resistance Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you would like to have a Bible study or to pray with somebody or to talk to somebody, then please contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week, we talked about a cleansed heart, and you may think, well, if my heart is cleansed from all sin like the scripture is talking about, then is there room for growth? Are am I done? Did I reach the mountaintop? Well, we've got to first define what growth is to help us to understand this biblical concept. Isaiah Reed, a holiness preacher of over 100 years ago, defined it this way, multiplication of grace on hand enlargements of measures possessed, better skill in use, greater wisdom in application, higher effectiveness, and a wider range of service. You can notice here that what he's talking about is something already exists and we are expanding that which already is. We're improving that which is already there in some respect. Well, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 17 for a a fundamental base start. Matthew 7, 17, Jesus said, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. In uh, Matthew 12, 33, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Luke 6.44 For every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. So, looking at these scriptures, can you bring forth good fruit with a corrupt heart? Jesus says you can't do that. So what does this passage tell us needs to happen for fruit to be born in abundance in our lives. I think what it's trying to tell us is corruption needs to get taken care of. So true unhindered growth 
happens when a heart is made holy, when a heart is cleansed from inbred sin. If the root is holy, then so is the tree and so is the fruit, says Jesus. And just for a sake of understanding, what is a root? Well, a root is the part of a plant that's buried in the ground, and from that root grows the rest of the plant. So if there is no root, then there is no plant. Now, that analogy can only go so far, just like any of the other parables in the scripture. Those parables are usually meant to convey one main point, unless it's specifically told us that there's several other points that are trying to be conveyed. So here it's just trying to tell us that one kind of root cannot bring a different kind of plant. So if there is a corrupted root, then there will be a corrupted plant. And if there is a corrupted plant, then there will be corrupted fruit. So everything grows from its own kind. It doesn't change kinds in the middle of stages of growth. Whatever it is, it will always be, and it will just grow in its capacity and quantity, but it will not change in its quality. According to this passage, then, can anyone grow out of corruption? No. No amount of growing will ever change a corrupt tree to a good tree. No amount of growing will take the disease out of a tree, but if the tree is treated for its disease, then it will grow with strength. I remember pruning fruit trees with my father, and this lady, she had a few different types of trees. She had uh, two different kinds of apple trees, and then the other tree that was in the back of her property was either a plum or a pear, and I can't remember which one. The thing that was so stark in difference between these was the apple trees were vibrant. They were large. They were healthy. But that plum or pear tree in the back, it's sickly looking. It had leaves on it. It did put forth some fruit, but it was about the third of the size of the apple trees, and they were all planted at the same time. My dad had told me that what had happened was ants had gotten up into the center of the tree, And then the nutrients to the plant travel just behind the bark, so it's possible for leaves to grow. It's possible for fruit to come. But the problem with it is, is that it doesn't grow to its fullest potential. Now, if there, and there was some other kind of disease that was with it, and I think that was the ants and the disease together was making this plant sickly. If you took care of the ant problem, and you took care of the disease problem in the plant, then the plant would grow because of what it was, a pear or a a plum tree, then it would grow more and more and more out of what it already is. So there's no amount of growing that will take a disease out of a tree. But if the tree is treated for its disease, then it will grow with strength the way that it was intended to. So Just like in the Christian life then, there is some growth in grace after you're saved, but it's much hindered by the presence of carnality or inbred sin. This is a disposition that we're talking about, not our actions. It is the quality of the heart, not the actions that we do that we're talking about. That corruption that's inside that saps all of the good that we would like to do and really hinders our growth. So growth is our work. We're commanded to do it. Sanctification, in the sense of making us holy, is God's work. It's not our work. We lay our all on the altar, and God alone then does the sanctifying. It is clear then that growth and sanctification are two separate things. And to answer the question I said in the beginning, 
Can we then have room for growth after we're made perfect in love, after we're walking perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, after he's cleansed our heart? Is there room for that? And the answer is yes, because growth and sanctification are two different things. 2 Peter 3.18, we read, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So what does this particular passage teach us when and how growth takes place? Seeing that we cannot grow into grace, this verse shows that we grow while we are planted in it. If God makes us perfect, how are we to grow more perfect? Is there any room then for more growth? Wesley said it this way, it is so far from being incapable of increase that one perfected in love may grow in grace far swifter than he did before. So Wesley didn't seem to think that there was a problem there either because growth was not necessarily sanctification. Growing did not sanctify somebody. Christ sanctified. Growth was something that you and I have to do. So when we're sanctified holy, made perfect in love, purified in heart, we're not perfect in quantity, but perfect in quality. He removes that negative and wrong quality out of us. This is a, a issue of measure versus kind. So we can see the fruit of an apple tree early, but we must wait for it to be ripe before it is to be enjoyed. Think about it. If you were to take an apple before it was ripe off a tree and then sink your teeth in it and take a bite out of it, it would be so sour and not as palatable as it would be if you were to wait for it to ripen. Was that unripe apple any less of an apple when it was sour and not ripe? It wasn't. But there was this, this process of growth after, afterwards that ripened the fruit that makes it enjoyable for us. And ripening shows a measurable difference in the apple, but it doesn't show a change of any kind. You can also think about it this way. A baby possesses the nature of a human, but still grows more and more in its humanness. An oak seed possesses the nature of an oak tree, and after the seed sprouts, it's still an oak, and so on, until it's 100 years old. All the while, it was an oak. It did not grow from a, an oak seed into a maple tree. Growth starts from the already existent life. A plant grows not because of self-effort, but because of an inward life principle. Matthew 6, 28, we read, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. So if the Holy Spirit dwells within, then growth will take place if we continue yielded to God. We cannot make ourselves grow. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.6, we read, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So if God is in us and we cooperate with him, growth will take place. We do have the responsibility in that we have to walk with the Spirit as he moves in our lives. Mark 4, 26 through 27. So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. Because there was an inward life principle within, and the seed grew as the conditions were favorable, and obviously as the seed surrendered itself to its maker. Growth starts when one is saved. 
but continues more rapidly and unhindered when that inward corruption is removed. A quote from Isaiah Reed is extremely helpful here. Peter uses the term or refers in his application of the idea to those who had already reached a high state of grace. They had obtained a like precious faith with us, talking about the apostles, with the apostles, and were those of whom he said, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, and further, as those having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Further, after having warned his readers of various hurtful and damning errors, he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace, so that it is reasonable and scriptural to conclude uh, three things. One, that the growing referred to belongs not to people who had no grace or even to those who had little grace, but to those who had an uncommon measure of grace. Number two, that the apostle nowhere teaches that we can grow into a grace that we do not already have, but it always applies, or he always applies the term to the multiplication or enlargement of grace that is already in our possession. It is safe then to conclude, therefore, that he does not teach the doctrine that one can grow into sanctification who is unsanctified, nor that a sinner can grow into grace when he's graceless. On the other hand, he teaches that when we come into the kingdom of grace by a very different process, namely, by being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So there was, when we were saved or born again, it was not a long process. We met God's conditions and he saved us. Likewise, when seeking to be sanctified, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the work of God to save us. It's the work of God to sanctify us. It is not the work of growth to do either of those things. So therefore, we conclude, inasmuch as growth is our work, and that it is the very God of peace that sanctifies holy, speaking of 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that sanctification being God's work and growth being our work, so men are not sanctified holy by growth. So we've talked a little bit about the negative aspect of growth um, and what it is and isn't. Let's look in John 15, verses 1 through 6. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, without, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, 
and they are burned. So we obey the life of God within us, but we don't try to grow apart from God. So with all this said, there is, in the, in the manner of growth, legitimate self-effort that you and I have to put forward, where we work with the indwelling spirit as he prompts us and teaches us and his life within us grows. If we don't expand with him, then we are going against all nature, as the example of when I said about a baby growing more and more into that human, a, a oak tree growing more and more into a mighty oak. It's the same with us. We have to obey that life principle within us, which is the Holy Ghost. The same way that we entered the sanctified life is the same way that we must keep it. We have to abide in him. We have to put our all on the altar and keep it all on the altar, and we have to be obedient to Christ always. 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. According to this verse, what is the prerequisite for growth then? The prerequisite for growth is to have a sincere desire and hunger after God and to learn more through his word. And obviously, his word will then interpret to us even some of our experiences around us. So we must nourish the life of God within us, sincerely wanting to know what God says without having ulterior motives. In Philippians 1.9, we read this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So what is said to grow in this passage? Isn't it love? And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So he's not moving from hatred to love. He's expanding that love. How does this love abound then? Is it safe to say that God shall reveal more and more as our light increases? Love will find more and more opportunities of how to exercise itself in very practical means, and our capacity for love will grow and grow. I've tried to explain it to people this way. If you get a balloon, you see that there's a balloon, right? It is 100% balloon. There's still the same amount of latex material that makes up a balloon when it's deflated and when it's blown up. But what is the difference here? When the balloon is, is blown up, let's say we fill it with water. The balloon, you put it around the faucet and you fill it up. Can its capacity continue to grow and grow and grow, but it doesn't change into anything else? It's still a balloon. It's the same with us. Our capacity for love can expand more and yet more and yet more, and all the other Christian graces, more and yet more and yet more. But if that balloon was filled with dirt, it would be hard then to fill that balloon with more and more water. It would be mud at that point. And it's the same. He removes the filth and the corruption out of our heart when he sanctifies us wholly. 
And then after that, that rapid expansion and growth of all those positive graces in the Christian life can continue to expand, and yet we can still be said to have perfect heart, perfect love, perfect motives toward God, and yet be learning all the yet more and things expanding. And just like this, our love abounding yet more and more in all knowledge and in all judgment. And that can only happen through a gradual process, but we can have the perfect quality of that love in an instant. Second Peter 1.5. This is probably the quintessential scripture for growth in the Christian life, really a roadmap, something that helps us to have something very practical, bare bones, and tangible that we can grip our hands upon. He said, and beside this, giving all diligence, add, and this word add here literally means to supply, to furnish, to present, and that is defined as uh, by Thayer's Dictionary and Strong's Concordance. So, and beside this, giving all diligence, furnish or present or supply to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity and then in Luke 19:26 he says for i say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given and from him that hath not even that he hath shall be taken away from him. So there's some principles that we have. And, and Peter says this even later in this chapter. He says that if we add these things to our faith, then we won't be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And we'll have an abundant entrance ministered unto us all the way into glory so that we would land in heaven. But he said, if we've forgotten, if we don't add these things, we've forgotten the sins that we've been purged from and we end up going backwards instead of forwards and turning like a dog back to his vomit. So the principle that's taught here is we have to use it or lose it. And you can see that inside of any problems that people may have physically. Uh, I remember I had an aunt that had a brain tumor and she has passed away. And this was years back. But she had to have people come in and massage her legs because her muscles would atrophy because she couldn't use them right. And you can see that many times over. You, you work out a lot and then you take a break for a year or two. The, the same muscle uh, that you had before isn't there. You, you, you don't use what you've got, then you end up losing it. And that is kind of the thing that Peter is trying to help us understand as Christians. So he says we need to supply, to furnish, to present, to add to our faith these things. So we're not adding here, however, good to bad. We, it would be like if we took negative two and added five to it. That addition or subtraction only changes quantity, but it doesn't change the quality. So good plus bad doesn't help us to get farther along the way. It's just dilution. God wants us to add good to good in a multiplied fashion. So the first thing he asks us to supply or to furnish or to add is virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is moral goodness. It's doing your religious duties because you love God. It is a courage that steps up and says, this is what I ought to do, and I'm going to go forward. I already have that virtue as a quality in my breast, but now I'm going to put it out into an active sphere, into an active manner. I'm going to exercise virtue, that moral goodness. He said, 
basically that's the seed of a lot of this on top of our faith is this virtue. And then we need to add to our virtue knowledge. We need to know more of God. We need to know more of God's ways through his word and through our experience. Because a zeal or a virtue without knowledge is a problem. Things are duties that God has not commanded us. Sometimes we we get this idea in our head, this is what I'm going to do for God, and I need to go at this full force. And sometimes God has got to pull back on the reins of our heart and tell us, whoa, you need to curb this virtue. You need to curb this zeal with true spiritual knowledge. So virtue and zeal without knowledge is dangerous, but then adding that knowledge on top of it helps us to know more of him to have a zeal with knowledge, to know how to rightfully use that knowledge, and then add to our knowledge temperance. This makes us moderate, to to moderately use our spiritual knowledge, to know when to use it, to not just go full bore and spend ourselves out so that we basically die early and, and aren't as fruitful for the Lord as we could be, but to add temperance. You now have wonderful liberty being a Christian, but you can't let that liberty go into an excess that goes against what God is after inside of our lives. We then need to add patience to all this. Patience, it's definitely needed, so that now you may preserve with joyfulness, uh, persevere, excuse me, with joyfulness along those days of drudgery. Because sometimes we may feel like we want to do a hundred billion other things and we want to go forward with all of our might, but then we have to realize that we have got to maintain this for the long haul. So that's where we add patience. That's where the setbacks of life. I remember when I first got married, things changed. I, I got saved two years before I got married, but when I got married, the way that I prayed had to change. The amount of time that I spent in prayer had to change. When I prayed had to change. When I had children, things had to change. Now I've got other people I have to care for. There's other things that I have to put into the equation. So we need to then add patience to it. And that only is, we only understand that through knowledge and experience as we go through life. Then we add through to patience, godliness. And you should become more and more like God in our character, in our thinking, and in our affections. And patience does that for us an awful lot. We add or furnish that uh, that part of our heart to more be like God. And then to godliness, we add brotherly kindness, finding more opportunities to exercise love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, stretching our capacity more and more. Because let's face it, we run into troubles with people. Sometimes people are difficult to uh, get along with. We don't have a natural affinity to certain ones. And so God puts us around people that we have to adjust to. And we end up having brotherly, a brotherly kindness, esteeming other people better than ourselves. And then he says, add to that brotherly kindness, charity. God will show us more ways to exercise that pure, godly love that he has planted within our hearts. So with all of this, and I know we can't do it perfectly exhaustive, but in all of this, we need to furnish ourselves or present ourselves that which we already have, these things to God of what you possess already And then he will furnish the grace to make these things grow in quantity.
I want you to think about the Exodus story. The conflicts that were fought before they got into Canaan were largely with themselves as the people of Israel. After they crossed the Jordan during the duration of Joshua's life, then the battles that they fought were largely against outside enemies. And this shows that there are still battles to be fought after you are sanctified holy, but no more war against the carnal self. Growth is from a good tree, as Jesus stated in the beginning of our lesson. So make sure that you receive a pure and a holy heart and the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Get the corruption removed from our heart so that you and I can grow without hindrance and be like Christ the way God wants us to be. Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, please look for God's Resistance on your favorite podcasting platform. Look for us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for teaching, preaching, and video content. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. If you need someone to talk to or pray with you, email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.